Hello and welcome to the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland. This is a spot where nurses share their stories and their experiences to provide mentorship as well as help nurses and soon-to-be nurses just like yourself along the way. I hope you enjoy these episodes. All right, well, welcome to a very special podcast episode brought to you by the University of Pennsylvania's Doctorate of Nursing Program, Nursing Practice, one of those two programs of 2021. I am joined today with my colleague, Sonia Chowdhury, and we will be joined by Claire Levinson in a little while. And we are also brought to us by Liz Weingast, who currently works for the Jewish home, the new Jewish home, excuse me, in New York City. It's a pleasure to get to know Liz Thank you, Liz, for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nicole. So I'm going to begin by discussing a little bit of your beginnings of a nurse. Why did you decide to be a nurse in the field of whatever else you could be in life? Well, I, I have to tell you, I did not, I never knew a nurse growing up. I had no role models of what nursing was. Um, and when I went to college, I was going to study biology um because I really liked that in high school and there was a a fellow dorm mate a a girl on my hall who was at the University of Rochester with me who was there to become a nurse her mom was a nurse and her aunts were nurses and her cousins were nurses and she always was going to be a nurse and so she brought me over to the nursing school um to teach me what nursing was about and they they recruited me essentially I learned from I learned from the admissions office, you know, what, what is nursing and, you know, the, the kind of art, the art and science um, of nursing and, and how it was really a blend of, you know, psychology and biology and, and, and care. Um, and I was like, well, that's great. And I could, you know, get out of college in four years and have a job. That's neat. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I, I have to tell you that a little bit of the drive was to be able to be able to, you know, take care of myself um, fresh out of college. Um, and so, um, I literally didn't know what nurses did though. Like I, I, I think I think philosophically it sounded really cool, but I didn't know what nurses did. And, um, I just, you know, the whole, you know, this, the things that we kind of get trained to do in school, like, you know, um, understand the medication undergrad, at least understand the medications and, you know, do an assessment and create a care plan and, you know, you know, deliver physical care and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, wasn't like what, you know, I, I find that intellectually stimulating, but that's not why I enjoyed, I found I enjoyed nursing. I found I enjoyed nursing because of the relationships um, with the patients and their families. And, um, you know, the rest of it is kind of like, you just get it done around the relationship. That's, that's you know, it was kind of the technical stuff. That yeah. that's not what you need to the to, to the job. It's more of how the uh, it's really you know what exactly nursing is. It's you know you know the um, the the person's kind of response to illness and 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 how do we treat that and support that and yeah. that just that just gelled with me. It just felt right. So. Yeah, and like how do you build a relationship to let them know that their response to illness is this versus something else? Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. nice. So then you took your first job. I'm assuming right out of your baccalaureate degree as a staff nurse. Exactly, exactly. I worked as a staff nurse on the medicine unit. 
um, for a couple years and then um, in the ICU for a couple years because that was kind of like what you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I did not like the ICU. I, I mean, I learned a lot, um, but um, you know, about kind of, you know, physiology, but um, I did not like keeping humans alive on machines. Um, that wasn't for me. Um, what I really, really okay. did like was um, caring for older people. Um, I, I did, after the ICU, I worked as a case manager in the hospital and I had time to um, get to know some of the older patients who, the idea was to re- reduce recidivism. So to make sure they were, you know, um, going home um, in safely enough that they weren't gonna bounce back in and also not spend too much time in the hospital when they got to us. So how could we get them through the system safely and quickly um, and, and stay home safely? Um, and then that, that's really when I realized I wanted to um, pursue more training um, in gerontology. Um, I already finished a, a master's in nursing that was focused on critical care, which as I explained, I didn't really like, but <laughs> it wasn't here we else. are. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then, um, you know, the, the geriatrics program was about being coming in NP, so, so that's what I studied. Um, and um, and it was fabulous. I felt like, oh, here's other people who understand the way I think. <laughs> um, it's so nice when you kind of stumble upon one another that way. That's how Sonia and I have become, you know, such good friends because we just completely get, you know, the way one another thinks when, when you come from the same, you know, yeah. background that you do. Yeah what makes you tick yeah yeah the same caring ethos between people Uh really like I love that like I love ICU nursing I've been an ICU nurse for 10 years but I completely understand where you're coming from when you're like it's just not really for me I mean it's not for you know things are not for for everybody and I'm so glad that there are people who love it because yes (laughs) we really need it but yeah we do but I, I definitely um They've got to be rare individuals because I definitely do not. <laughs> I don't like it at all. But I think that leads us into a really good subject that we'll bring up in a little while is why we choose the paths we do and how that makes us a leader. I think though that really resonates with our leadership podcast today. And, you know, just knowing who yourself is, knowing what you, makes you tick, knowing what makes you love life is really important. And I think you find that from what you guys just mentioned in the first, you know, couple years of being a nurse even. Mm-hmm. So then you were a case manager prior, I think prior to getting your master's of nurse practitioner. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was that role like? Because that's kind of a, a unique, so my hospital considers that a leadership role of case manager. Yeah. And so what exactly in that leadership role makes you a leader and what did you experience in that role? Well, interestingly enough, this is when, and this is back like 1990 or so. Yeah, 93, whatever. But um, this is when case management was still uh, like kind of fresh and new. And the whole idea of um, um, clinical pathways was new. And um, so the, they, they started a new, a new case management program. And I was one of the two first case managers at, at the hospital I worked at. And so um, I was really kind of thrown into a leadership position, um, even though I had a master's already without much training in like how to be a manager because I, I was never a supervisor or anything like that. Um, but I um, did know how to work with, with my teammates and, and, and I knew how to work with the um, interdisciplinary team. And um, I find that, um, you know, in the hospitals, 
what I've learned so much in the in the nursing home world is, and and I I, I have come to, to start saying recently in in the last several years that what I've come to learn in my middle age is that um, interdisciplinary work um, is essential to to success anywhere. So whether it's a clinical team or whether you're you know you're the leader of um, I don't I don't know you know like rebuilding you know the kitchen you still you need an interdisciplinary team you need the people who understand different aspects of what's happening there to to put the whole picture together it's it's rare that you know an individual can put a whole picture together um and um so the um that that role of being um a case manager um helped me kind of communicate that to other um individuals and I don't think nurses especially in hospitals always quite get that like that they're how important their role really really is to the interdisciplinary team um, and and impact that they have on on the patients um, it's you know because it's shift work is hard that way to really see your impact um, you know but if, if if your assessment is spot on and you can share that with you know the social worker and the and the physician and the dietitian and the whole rest of the team um, you know, and, and make changes. Um, it's, it's really, it can be, you know, literally life-saving. Um, and, you know, um, you know, that's, you know, typically when you're in the hospital, that's what you're there to manage, right? Get somebody out of here safely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, um, you know, I did learn that. Um, I, I also learned, um, um, and what was interesting, that was my first experience creating kind of documentation for the electronic medical record. Mm-hmm. So we, we created a whole kind of, kind of set of questions at the end of a, um, the nurse's assessment that basically would say like, you know, does your, does your patient have any of these type of um, issues? And they were basically like, you know, are they frail? Are they, you know, frequent readmissions? You know, are they at risk? And if yeah. so, you know, click here to refer them to case management. So that was cool too, because I think it helps um, staff recognize, um, you know, the need for, you know, a more complex, you know, support in the hospital. Yeah. And you think back in the nineties, that was so new to even think of those things to ask those patients in an electronic medical record. Yeah. I think like in my experience, we only recently just, just got that out. Like, I mean, I mean, I'm talking like probably seven years ago, but still it wasn't the nineties. Right. And that link to communication and interest disciplinary care was probably missed so many times because of that miscommunication yeah. and having that click of the box. I mean, it seems so benign to a staff nurse now because it's probably everywhere, but to patients and to care coordinators and to social workers, like you've mentioned, that is so important for people to realize. Well, you know, I, I think, I think a lot has changed, thank goodness. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, when I think of, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to work in a place that I was actually trained on um, the electronic medical record, all the medication order, at least from a medication um, management point of view, all the medication orders went to the um, wow. EMR. I mean, and this is 1988. Um, yeah, wow. Um, all the um, the nursing um, care plans went to the EMR. Um, the labs so, were- 1988, I was still in high school. <laughs> yeah, so it was pretty amazing. And, um, but in the paper chart is where you wrote your notes and um, everybody wrote their notes, all the interdisciplinary team and the, the nursing notes were on pink paper mm-hmm. in the pink section. 
oh my God, a lot has changed. Thank goodness. The, the <laughs> position notes were on yellow paper. Rehab was on blue. But I mean, seriously, how, how that could be even a possibility today, like boggles my mind, right? So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes so, though, so not only it, it, it makes there, me- it was like, The girls right over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes though, I wish sometimes little bits of time that I, we still perhaps had that system because communication is, gets so lost sometimes when you have a robust EMAR system that it kind of makes it hard to even have that communication. So like, if you had like, you know, color paper schematic, let's say that might make it easy, but then we get lost in handwriting and that's a mess. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I did. And I'm sure EMRs still need to progress. Um, and they will. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite, quite happy that, that we're in that place. I think that's made a huge difference over the years. Yeah, that's great. So then you took your first, I'm, I'm assuming it's your first job as your nurse practitioner at the new Jewish home. And you've yes. been there for 24 years, which is quite yeah. an accomplishment um, to be at one place for so long. And I say <laughs> that in love because not a lot of people realize that just being in one place can make you grow so much and appreciate so much. And it was really refreshing to read that you've literally pretty much have done everything and are now the VP of clinical excellence, but started your way as a nurse practitioner. Yeah, yeah. So um, the New Jewish Home was a fabulous place to be um, for my first job as an NP. And, you know, for people who are becoming nurse practitioners, I think your first job, um, wherever you land is really, really important because you, you need, you need to have support. Um, we don't have like a residency. Um, and, and I think, it, it, you know, um, I, I was very fortunate that I landed at the New Jewish Home because I was working with um, a teaching program for the physicians. Um, they were um, fellows, so they were post the residency and they were studying geriatrics in their fellowship. And um, they would rotate through the units I worked on and there was a faculty member with them. So we always had, you know, an, an attending and, uh, but they would, they all rotated. And I was like the constant um, nurse practitioner for those um, groups of patients and a residents in the nursing home. And I, so I learned a ton clinically from them. Yeah. Um, and they learned a ton from me, by the way, because I didn't realize how little they knew about what nurses know. Right. So I didn't know that until like so wound care, they know nothing about wound care out of medical school or even out of their you know, first couple of years of training. Um, so many things that nurses seem to know about that, that physicians don't, you know, pain management, <laughs> um, you know. And so we, um, it was a great team because I, then I got to learn about other things which I had never had to manage before, hypertension, you know, antibiotics, you know, and, you know, things that I had never had to manage because I had, you know, medications before. Um, so it was a great, great learning opportunity. Um, and I have to tell you, being an MP in a nursing home is a leadership role in itself. So yeah. I think some people become an MP because they, they want the um, direct patient contact and, um, and it's kind of a very kind of just clinical role for them. Um, but I, I took it as an opportunity also as a leadership role. Um, I think um, as a nurse practitioner, you can do a ton of education with the nurses. Um, you're really a great go-between between physicians and nurses because you know what both of them do and you're kind of doing both their jobs. <laughs> so um, 
so I think it's a fabulous, you know, um, or part of the reason I enjoyed that role so much is aside from the fact that I was learning is that I was doing a lot of teaching and um, I ended up, um, you know, following some of my own personal passions and becoming a, um, you know, kind of a point person for palliative care um, at one of the nursing homes we work at. Um, I um, was recognized that I was good at orchestrating um, interdisciplinary difficult conversations. And so we had, what did my medical director call it at the time? I don't remember what she called it. But it was, it was, it was an almost like funny name, like difficult cases, <laughs> you know, difficult cases called this. Um, and, but the, the idea was that um, those tough cases would like come to a, a team meeting that um, needed that, um, that leadership role that I, I think NPs are really uniquely um, suited to fill. Um, so, um, so yeah, that was a, a really nice opportunity for me as a nurse practitioner. Um, yeah. I want to ask a question though about your, your comment on difficult conversations, because that is essential for, I think, every nurse leader. And I want to know what the process was of how you got good at that. Did you just immerse yourself in difficult conversations? Was it perhaps because of your case management background? Did you just have to do it, you know, or was it a formal program that, that you sought out? I did not seek out a formal program, but there are formal programs that will teach you, um, you know, mediation in groups. Um, there are formal programs, um, you know, that will teach you um, about, you know, kind of palliative care, difficult conversations. Um, and, you know, so if you're somebody who it doesn't come natural to, um, and even if you're somebody who this does come natural to, like it is, it's great to get the training. So um, I've done training, now I have to remember exactly what it's called. Um, Spike. Spike, yeah, Spikes and, and Nurse and all this kind of stuff. But now I'm trying to remember what, what the organization is that, anyway, it'll come to me. Yeah, we can but, always um, put it, in, put it in, in, in the notes as well um, if we yeah, find yeah, it later. Yeah. Um, but that'd be so a good there's, resource. There's a couple of organizations that really, um, do this training a lot of it's around palliative care because those are difficult conversations but yeah. there's also stuff around you know like bioethics and ethical um you yeah. know conversation choosing wisely is another organization yeah yeah and so so i um nicole i think some people kind of naturally are comfortable with this stuff yeah and some people aren't um but i think it's and any of us can learn this stuff. These are skills people can learn. Um, so whether you're naturally inclined or it's something like you try to do and then you're like, oh, I don't feel so strong at this, get the training because um, you can absolutely learn um, communication skills um, to have um, difficult conversations with families, um, you know, with, with staff, um, um, you know, with, with, with patients around, you know, what's going on. And, and difficult could be around different topics, right? So it right. could be around um, prognosis and, you know, what's happening next. Um, um, or it could be about like, they don't like how the care is going and they're angry at the staff and they don't trust. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, there's, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of difficult, different types of difficult conversations. And um, so, I, you know, I think, um, I, I think we can all learn to have them. 
Um, yeah. But it, doesn't, it does not come naturally to everybody. And in fact, as nurses, um, we like to kind of fix things and make everything better. So some of us like aren't actually good at it at all because we're just kind of like, oh, that's what you want. Okay, we'll make it better and everything will go away and it'll be better. So it, no, that's not always how, um, what the response is gonna have to be. Right, and yeah. I think because, you know, if, if you're dealing with a conversation that's difficult with a patient, they know they're sick and they know something needs to change. And so they're not looking for that, oh, we're gonna make it all better moment. I think they're just looking for real conversation perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that can oftentimes be very daunting to anyone, you know, walking into any kind of situation of, well, am I, should I be real with them? Should I be like hopeful with them? You know, how do I kind of handle myself? How do I handle my emotions? Because we've, we've discussed um, somewhat in, in our class now about emotional intelligence and how important that is to recognize even your own feelings on top of having difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. And for me, like I, I know personally, I've had to like walk back and kind of and kind of go over some conversations that were had. And I mean, from everybody, not just from patients and kind of say, okay, what what is making me feeling anxious or like, you know, a little bit like, on edge and what can I do next time to change that perspective? Yeah. And I think that sometimes it comes easier, but for me, like get for me, throwing myself into, into the lines then <laughs> was how I learned, but I'm happy that there's also programs out there, out there that can help people really recognize what those things are. Cause it wasn't until this class that I really recognized my emotional intelligence as something that, Oh, I can work on this and I could probably feel better about things and, you know, pinpoint where it's coming from and then, and then move on. Because mm-hmm. I think as a leader, and please, please correct me if I'm wrong, one of the things that makes it, you know, when you step into a role like you've done, is the emotional intelligence to know when is enough and when to keep going and when to step up and all yeah. these are topics that not everybody gets to hear all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And when, you know, just because you see a problem doesn't mean it's yours to fix. Yeah. Um, and That's so important. Oh, Yeah. I also think I just want to add, um, so before I came and I just want to add that I do think I have the best job in the whole world. I think Jewish home is the most, Liz and I agree on that special place in the whole world. Um, I worked for a hospice for a year and a half. And so I thought I was good with advanced directives and I was comfortable, you know, and I think I got good practice, but I would say that my fundamental training came from our organization's culture puts a huge emphasis on it. And when I first started, I had good practice, but I started under uh, someone that Liz and I know very well, Dr. Posner, and she really made it part of the culture. So I found individuals and mentors, nurse practitioners who'd been there a long time and doctors who I would watch physically have these conversations and now it's really nice because I can then use it when I'm teaching my students at NYU or just even new nurse practitioners. And um, so I think a lot of it has to, you might disagree with me, Liz, but I think a lot has to do with the organization's culture too and the emphasis that we put on it. I do. And, you know, it's really interesting because, um, so Dr. Posner, All the people that I've who was the medical director that you're, you're talking about, so you can make a huge difference um, just and it's not just, it's like, you know, in your team on the, um, on the units, you can make a huge difference, you know, in the whole organization by just asking some simple questions, like, you know, every time you talk about a case and if it's about bringing up advanced directive or if it's about bringing up, you know, 
we want to make sure, I mean, here we are now in, in you know, talking about long-term care um, and COVID and the residents who are, you know, really basically have been in their rooms for a year. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like, what's that like? So, you know, how, you know, how do we make sure we start talking about um, what are people's emo emotional health like, you know, and, and how are they connecting with their families? And, and if they're not, you know, who are, who are they connecting with? Um, and what kind of questions do we need to ask ourselves? Um, there. And um, I've been asking myself this question a little bit recently is, you know, what is the new normal going to be? And I don't think it's, we should wait for it to happen to us. I think we need to create it. Um, and so, um, you know, you know, what is that? Um, and what do we want it to look like? Um, and, and we should just make it look like something that we think, you know, is meaningful. Um, and ask the people who live here, you know, what is, what is going to be meaningful to you? So, um, you know, I, I think that's what, um, you know, before we started, you know, Nicole, before you started recording, um, we started talking about, um, you know, what is nursing innovation? And it's, it's about having ideas, as like you were saying, but then like allowing um, yourself or allowing people who work with you or for you um, um, to do something with those ideas um, and, and follow them. And um, so, you know, th th those are just examples of, you know, it, whether it's advanced directive or quality of life or, you know, Sonia does a beautiful thing. I have to give a shout out to her with, um, when, when the residents were able to gather. Um, oh, I she, miss it so much. Yeah, she ran a book club. And I'm sure oh, that's so great. Again, again um, and, and facilitated, I mean, and to me, you know, I know, you know, I know Sonia, Sonia gets her juice out of that because it just feels so good to, to connect with you with other people um, that way and, 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 and allow, you know, the residents who live in the nursing home to have, you know, conversations of, about a book um, and, you know, intellectually and emotionally, it's so important. Um, but again, as a leader, it just shows other people like, wow, look at this commitment to the organization and the people we serve. Um, and, and that makes other people want to do things like that. Just by doing it yourself makes other people want to follow it. So I, I think, you know, leadership comes in all, all forms. Yeah, I think you just, I think both of you just said so much without saying so much. And I wish we had like four hours to do this podcast because to me, that's exactly what leadership looks like is trying something new and, and not always being the first to do it, but not being afraid of doing it and then learning from it and then getting better at it. You know, it's a lot about innovation for sure, but it's also simple acts that you find important and, and the people that you're serving find important. And I think that leadership really connects those dots together, in my opinion. So what made you then decide moving from a nurse practitioner role to then moving into an associate director of nursing role? Because those can be two completely different things. Yeah. And what, what was that, you know, that um, I, didn't, I didn't really decide, um, the, the, <laughs> the small nurse, the, I worked at one of our smaller nursing homes. Um, they needed I just to, wanted to say, put in a plug. They, they eliminated the nurse practitioner positions Oh, and were kind enough to find me a job. Um, and, um, I had no idea what happened in the nursing office. None. Um, you know, how did the, um, I didn't know anything about operations or scheduling or, you know, working with unions or, you know, all the things that have to happen um, in, in, the, in the nursing office. Um, 
and um and, and I learned a ton. I had a, a really terrific um, nursing director who was very patient with me and time. And I uh, did a lot of teaching for me. And, um, you know, this to me, there, there was, I had a real pivotal moment. Um, and I remember um, I would go to certain meetings either along with the nursing director or um, as a representative of the nursing department, like mm-hmm. um, the, the pharmacy therapeutics committee meeting or the um you know infection control meeting or whatever um and i would come i would have to come back this is how my director worked i would have to come back and say okay you know this idea came up and i you know i told them nursing would like to do x y and z but now i have to pass it by you and um after like several months of doing this i came back to him and said listen if you're gonna, I, I got this, this is a leadership moment, like that's aha, like if you're gonna send me out there and trust me to represent nursing, then you're gonna have to allow me to make a decision mm-hmm. and follow through on it. Um, and to me, um, that that was kind of a pivotal moment. And, you know, he did trust me enough and he said, oh, of course, like I didn't realize he was doing that to me, you know, um, but, it, it changed, I think, how I was perceived in the whole organization because I could go out and make decisions. Yeah. Um, and I was the associate. So, you know, not all associates can make decisions. Right. Um, it depends who you work for. So um, it, it was, um, it was, I learned a lot in two ways. So as the person that had to go ask and say, listen, we need to change the way we're working together, but also as you know, a future director to say to you know, yes, you you can go make this decision. Um, you know, just keep me in the loop. I need to know what what we're committing to do or whatever it is. So um, that that was a real leadership um, kind of pivotal moment for me that I have not thought about in a really long time. Yeah, yeah. Did you notice that your strengths sort of came out when you were put like placed into this position more? Yeah, you know, it, there was other things that I wasn't, I, I had a, um, I had a student um, nurse with me who was actually a very, um, she was somebody studying to be a nurse practitioner, but she had actually been in administration for many years. So she really understood, you know, real um, leadership. And, and we had a, a meeting on something, maybe it was one of these difficult case meetings. And um, she said to me after the meeting, she said, you know, the group was looking to you to make the decision. And I was like, oh, what? it's not my decision to make. This is like more of a collaborative thing. She was like, no, you're in charge of the group. You need to make the decision. So, um, you know, sometimes you need to listen to people who are, you know, telling you don't, you know, I, you know, it's, it's nice to be, um, I do like to work as a team, but, you know, sometimes, you know, the buck's got to stop somewhere or somebody's yeah. got to make the final decision on whatever it is that you're, that you're talking about. So, um, so I, 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 you know, learn from all sorts of people. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you yeah. have a leadership style? Like, have you have you identified it in any way? Um, I think I tend to be collaborative, um, and I um, sometimes it's um, as I just pointed out to you. Sometimes it's a little bit to a fault. Um, sometimes you just have to kind of do it. Or, um, but I but I do think I I, I trust um, I trust my team tremendously. Um, and I think you have to just like put a, what I noticed is you have to put a process in place and then just let it go and let it, let it happen. Um, and 
if you know if it doesn't happen well then you have to revisit it but if it happens well then the people embrace it then you've done the right thing you know you have to watch it um but i i i prefer just to trust the people who are doing the work um i i really do i i, I don't think i'm a you know i don't think i look at the i don't think i'm a micromanager type of person um you know you don't you don't seem like it's sonia like loves talking about you <laughs> in our email she's like i love liz liz is the best Liz is gonna be so good and i was like i love this I love this already because i love learning from people that other people love so why not right yeah, i mean i guess i my two cents would be that um i see you liz i mean you're amazing in every way sort of form but i see you as a visionary um we haven't gotten to this but liz solely on her own with it help but really redeveloped the current EMR that we use. I mean, literally, I cannot even fathom what a huge success that is. Mm -hmm. I mean, all, I mean, it's so, every time I go in, I'm like, I'm so proud of her. Like, it's like, you know, like our whole order set, you know, um, yeah, that's huge, you know, um, to have that legacy, but like, I'm not going to talk about what we did before, <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, um, she developed a complete order set based on clinical knowledge and, you know, uh, revamped our whole EMR, you know, so um, it's just been, you know, I see that as a visionary. And um, one of the huge things that I continuously admire you about you all the time is how well you get along with everybody, but just that. Um, That's very important. Yeah. Especially during COVID, um, there is no role that you have not played. <laughs> Um, yeah, and yeah. that's remarkable. And every time I feel like I'm switched to one place or another, I'm like, okay, no complaining, Sonia. Liz would never complain. <laughs> so, well, so, you know, I mean, I, I think because of the role I'm in, um, um, it can take on different, you know, types of, you know, I can't think of the word, but anyway, it can take on different, you know, um, uh, yes, exactly. And so, um, so what happened in, in COVID is that, um, you know, some of the projects I was looking at, you know, I had to drop some and pick up others. And so, um, so yes, I became like the employee health person who I'd never done that ever, but now I run like all the COVID vaccine and testing and, you know, all that stuff. I know the staff really well, all the N95 fit testing. Like, so all of a sudden we had to put all this stuff into place um, and and it happened. It just, it worked because I guess like I was saying, if you could put a good process in place then it, then it stays. Um, um, and, you know, in, in the height of the crisis we all did what we had to do. I literally worked on a unit one night as a nurse which really probably wasn't a smart thing to do <laughs> but I really actually enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm, sure the, I'm sure the residents were thrilled. <laughs> yeah. I have, my I do have a dream. I have a couple of dreams that are, um, come back to me, and um, one of the dreams is that I work overtime, like one night a month, like a twelve-hour shift in my, in the first unit I ever worked on, um, and that I show up, and it's of course like all the same staff, which is impossible because that was like thirty years ago, and um, and that I and, and I do my twelve-hour shift, and people are like, oh, it's so great you're here, and then <laughs> then I go away for a month. <laughs> that's my dream role by the way is to do something like in leadership but then like also like spend like 12 hours a month just being a nurse in yeah. the organization yeah. I work for because I'm going to miss taking care of patients you know I think that I would just love that I don't know 
It's a very hard transition. Yeah, I, very, I can imagine. And I think it took me years, quite honestly, to um, to feel like it was okay not to like just I don't know do whatever needed to be done on a unit. Um, yeah. I, I think we all. I think one of the um, challenges as nurses is is we're so comfortable doing the hands-on care. So you know, to to see somebody who like you know doesn't have their TED stockings on, that is supposed to have TED stockings on and be like, oh, let me just go get them and put them on him. You know, like mm -hmm. whatever it is, um, you know, they're not position, whatever, whatever it is. There's something about that hands-on or the dressing's coming off. Like, oh, let me just do the dressing for you. Like, it's so easy to do. And it's, and it feels good. Cause you're like, oh, I helped this person and I helped the nurse cause they didn't have to get it done or whatever. But you know what? Um, I don't, I don't think that really helps um, what your what your actual job is. I mean, unless you know, like if you're a supervisor on a unit, that's nice. But if if you have a different role, if you have a role that um, is like a case manager or a director of nursing innovation or the nurse practitioner or you know um, risk management or whatever quality management, you have to do your job. Mm -hmm. You can't be distracted by um, that's, that's actually someone else's job, all those things I defined. That's not your job to do that. And um, just because you are capable of popping that ID in for them um, doesn't mean uh, you, you want to you do, you see the big picture and make yeah. the big picture happen. And if you're going to take time and energy away from doing that, um, you might not get your job done. Yeah. So it's really hard to leave. It's really hard. When I literally... When I was a nurse practitioner at this smaller nursing home, um, I my grandmother actually lived there. And um, the, as the NP, like the nurses rarely put in the IVs. So I would put them in a lot as the nurse practitioner. And when I was on um, maternity leave, I was there with like an infant visiting my grandmother and the nursing supervisor was like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Could you help with this oh. IV? And I said, no, I will not. I'm here with my baby visiting my grandmother. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, I just think it's so easy to go back to like that tactile stuff that you think is nursing care, like you know the the, the wounds and the you know the feeding and the you know the, the stuff that's intimate and and gets you connected to the person because you're providing the care. Um, leadership roles, you you don't you have to find something else to feed you because you really, if you go to do that, um, you're not gonna achieve your, your other work. And it might just burn you out too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a good note because a lot of people are experiencing burnout, especially in COVID. But oh boy, I can yeah. imagine if, if you're experiencing, you know, care, caregiver guilt and not like direct caregiver guilt where you're like somebody's, you know, loved one, but as a nurse stepping away and you're guilty because you're like, I'm in this role, but I could help it's really important to know that you could just, you should just step away and, and focus on what you're doing. It almost resonates what I, what I try telling my students um, that you're going to need to find something outside of nursing to get involved with that keeps you as a human, because it's so easy just to work 80 hours a week. But if you keep doing that and you keep lending yourself to these things, it's just going to burn you out over time. Yeah. And it doesn't help you grow. So. No, no, you have to, you need another interest and you need something to, 
you know, you need a work-life balance. And, and, and I think, um, you know, when you move into leadership roles, um, you know, if you work on the unit and you do your 12 hour shifts and you go home, you know, at least you're not doing your work any longer. But if you're in a leadership role and you have your computer and you have your phone and you, you know, you could really be tethered back to, to the unit or to whatever your role is, um, you, have to, you have to be able to say no and you have to create, be able to create your space. Yeah. Um, and that, that's why, that's part of the reason you have to be able to trust the other people on your team. Because, you know, if you're, if you're the head nurse, on, um, then you have to really trust the off shift, um, you know, leadership to, to follow through and know that when you come back the next day or after the weekend or whatever it is, they took care of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Do you have a crucial leadership moment that you've reflected back on your career and was like, that was the most amazing moment of my life as a leader? Oh, I'm sure wow. there's many, right? Yeah, there's probably a lot. Um, I, have to, I have to think about that a little bit, Nicole, because I, I think, you know, it's interesting what Sonia's saying. Um, and, and I never really thought about um, the visionary part of saying like, hey, how could we do this documentation better? But it's so nice to know that it makes a difference in, in um, the way people, you know, the, work, the way workflow goes and how it's probably safer and smarter and, and um, quicker. That's pretty cool. And, and quicker. <laughs> I tell everybody about it. I'm so proud of you. It's like, wow. Um, and so um, I think there's some of those moments where you say, oh, wow, that, that's really great. Honestly, um, the best I feel as a nurse leader is when you know you've impacted a staff member to the degree that, that they deliver care differently um, and they've, they've grown. And so I can't, I can't tell you that one moment, um, but people do come back to you over the years and say, thank you so much for showing me this, encouraging me to do that, allowing me to do the other thing, right? Um, and, and that has enabled me to whatever it is. Yeah. So, you know, people who have, you know, been able to go back to school because you helped adjust their schedules, people who have, um, you know, I don't know, just, you were supportive when they called in sick and, um, and, you know, or, or you allowed them a special day off because of something that came up in their lives that, um, you know, that somebody else might not be so kind about, um. I, you know, you, being generous always, always does help. And, and, and so there's those kind of feel good moments about like, oh, that's nice. You know, my staff feels good about um, who I am, but it's not just that. I think it's, it's, it's helping people like grow. So they do it kind of better, whatever it is better than next time. And, um, and so th those are the moments that always um, feel good. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and make you realize that, you know, you're doing the right job. Generosity always wins. Generosity and love always wins. Yes. Have, have you really had, does. it really does. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I just, I think that's a really, you know, great highlight, um, you know, to point out. Yeah. Really Did you have mentors as you're going through these leadership positions? Because it was probably um, pretty, you know, robust, right? When you're nurse practitioner and then you're like, hey, you're going to be the associate nursing director now. <laughs> and then you became the VP of clinical excellence. Yeah. yeah. So who, who did you go to? Who did you talk to? How was, how were those relationships? Well, you know, so um, when you talk about leadership roles, I've been in some roles that are very clear 
um, kind of hierarchy. So when I was the associate nursing director, it's very clear, I reported to the nursing director. He became a fabulous mentor to me, um, just kind of accidentally, because it was one of these, like he was new, I was new and it just worked. Um, and um, he's, he's a great nurse leader, Greg Paul Diane. Um, oh, Greg was your- He was a nursing director when I was the oh. associate. Yeah, so was, just to give you a history, um, we have a wonderful administrator now. And um, besides her, I think Greg is just the most superior human being. When I was in the Bronx, he was our administrator. And yeah. Like, he would, he, yeah. I never, I talk about my first day, he came over and introduced, he's, oh, he's a superior human being. Yeah, yeah. So he was a great mentor in many ways. And, um, and um, one of the things he taught me about, you know, dealing with staff and managing staff is, you know, you have to be clear, you know, um, and um, you have to be caring. Mm -hmm. And just as long as you're clear about what, what this, you know, you need and the staff needs to do um, and you do it in a caring way, you know, so it's, it's that generosity wins the day is what you were saying, Nicole. Yeah. Um, so he was a fabulous mentor. Um, as I moved into um, this VP of Clinical Excellence role, I reported to the CEO, um, who was a terrific leader and really well-known in the field of geriatrics, um, Audrey Weiner. Um, but, you know, what's hard, I have to say, about reporting to any CEO is the CEO, um, you know, basically has other stuff to do. <laughs> you know, they're not hanging out with you all day. So you have to... Um, you have to find a way, you know, you go and meet with them every three weeks or whatever it is and keep them up to date on what you're working on. But you have to find a way to kind of like find your other, your own mentors, your own, um, you know, strong, um, you know, associations, you know, in the organization where you can like learn from one another and also move projects forward. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say an, another um, strong nurse leader I've, I've learned a ton from is Nancy Stoddard, who, is our, um, who runs our IT department and has for many years. And she's somebody who's like a nurse at heart, um, trained in you know, informatics, but also is a great business brain. She's an MBA and she just, you know, probably is essentially probably the COO behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, she runs everything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, um, and again, just has like the right amounts of, um, you know, ability to kind of direct, but also listen um, and um, make recommendations um, to a team. And then, you know, let the team, you know, accept those recommendations and, and work with them. So she, she's been um, a great um, nurse executive mentor to me as well. So I think, you know, you have to kind of take people um, in pieces of their positions, depending on what they're doing. Mm. So, right, so there's this IT leadership role versus the nursing um, director leadership role. Um, and then there's, you know, people like um, Dr. Lori Posner, who, um, you know, is a huge impact in terms of, you know, how I approach palliative care. So it's, you know, it depends what, um, you know, pieces of, you know, things you want to take from other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, really own that and take that in and then try to act that in your own way. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, as leaders, um, you know, you, we have, you asked me what my style, my leadership style is, but, you know, we all, we all have different styles for different moments, you know, and they're, they're all appropriate at different times. And so, you know, I can be directive and, 
and you know I set high expectations, but I could also be you know extremely collaborative and um, yeah. supportive in that way. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I I think you just made it all like full circle when you mentioned that you know you have to be direct, but you have to be caring. So that in itself lends so many different leadership styles, you know, that people might read about or reflect on that, you know, it, I'm sure when COVID hit, you had to be a certain way, right? A certain leadership style had to come out when you yeah. needed to be in charge of the COVID vaccines or the N95 mask kit testing, different leadership styles had to come out. Um, and I'm sure there's been, a, you know, people that have had emotional responses to things. And I'm sure a different leader style came out that was perhaps caring towards your staff members. So I think that was, that, that's a really good thing to bring up because I personally don't believe there's any one type of leadership style. I think it reflects itself on the moment that you're in and the people that you're trying to help lead. Mm-hmm. I do want to ask a question about projects because a lot of times it's difficult to create influence upon others and get projects done and projects moving. Is there any like secret that you have or like best practices mm-hmm that you can like collaborate with people and move it forward. Right, right. People have to see um, see the impact, see, see that there's a possibility of, um, of what, whatever you're working on will help them or their staff or um, someone eventually, right? So like Sonia said, um, the order sets project. Um, in the end, that helped a lot of people. Um, but working on it's a huge pain in the neck, right? So mm-hmm. how do you get you know, the people to just even agree to, because any change, people are like, oh, I don't know if I want to do change because we're, we're doing all these other things, blah, blah, blah. Um, so um, I've learned a couple of things. Um, in my um, more immature stage, I um, would never have said, um, the CEO wants this, we have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I now actually say that because <laughs> sometimes it's true. Sometimes it is. Yeah. So sometimes we have to do something because it's asked of us and that's okay. Um, you know, authority in some um, instances is a reason enough just to get it done. Um, um, but I think you can also find, you know, common um, interest in things um, and, and eventually, you know, people will, you know, come over and participate with you. So um, some of it is about having um, kind of a, you know, like a, a, if, you, if you've been generous to people, they'll be generous back to you, right? Like, you know, I'm sure if Sonia asked anybody for help on anything, everybody would help because so the Sonia kind of lays down on the, you know, the ground to get everything done for anybody, you know, in, in the most positive way. Um, so, you know, the, this, so if, if, I think that helps too. Like you have to be a team player yourself to expect other people to play along with you. And, and I think that you, you can't just expect because you're in a position for people to do things for you. Um, matrix um, kind of um, organizations and, you know, leadership relationships don't work that way. You, you really have to have been part of the team um, or, you know, create um, yourself as part of the team to, to help have other people you know, work along with you. So, you know, sometimes it's about finding um, just the most enthusiastic, you know, person you know who who will help. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, just saying like, look, this is what has to get done. Um, and, um, you know, this is what we're doing. So that that's another piece that I learned is that 
um, again, in a little more of a mature stage is that sometimes you just have to say, um, you know, this is the project and we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and not like beg people to come along, just tell them like, you know, this is it. And let's set our timeline together. Like give people choices in, inside um, what the expectation is. Set the expectation and then you know, you can work collaboratively within that expectation. You don't have to collaboratively set the expectation. Yeah. 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 That sounds, that sounds just like what you've kind of referenced in a lot of different ways um, throughout this conversation. Mm-hmm. That's yes. Awesome. That, that is my kind of experience. Yeah. So is there anything that, that motivates you to keep on being within this leadership role moving forward? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, it's interesting because I've, I think I'm probably, you know, two thirds or more through my career. And, and I, I look at the rest of it and I think, um, you know, what is it that I want to do? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? Um, besides the order sets. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could leave, I could give so many more, <laughs> but, um, but I think um, that, um, you know, when you're fortunate enough to be in an organization for so long, um, you know, your, your impact as a leader on the culture is, is, is real and it's tangible. So, um, so to be able to, um, to know that you, there's certain values that, um, that you think belong in an organization and belong, you know, to the community, um, to, you know, to be part of the leadership that, you know, maintains those values and, um, you know, um, envisions, you know, how we, deliver care continuously in a changing environment um, to, you know, to maintain those values. I, I think, you know, that that's what keeps me, you know, interested and engaged. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not running away because of COVID. I, I think, I think most, many of us, you know, or at least anybody who's listening to this podcast is probably running in, not running away. Well, I think, you know, you, you just, you yourself had said, what is this new normal going to be? And we're going to address this now and not just wait for it to happen. Mm-hmm. So I think that alone perhaps even keeps you motivated to ask those questions and kind of build that legacy just, just in general, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all I have. Sonia, do you have any other questions or things that you'd like to ask? No, no. I just, um, I love you dearly as a friend, but I have so much respect and admiration and um, you've taught me so much actually. Um, just watching you at meetings and you know, developing my own leadership style and learning to be a better listener. Um, One thing I will say is that I continuously just am in awe of your energy and just um, how you step in so many different roles. Like there's so much, Nicole, like when we were missing a director of nursing or an associate director of nursing, Liz was there for like seven months at a time till like 10 p.m. at night, you know, I don't think there's anything you haven't done except for maybe security and maybe you've done security (laughs) for all I know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, And um, it's people like Liz and our, her team that we have an extremely rich and special culture. I mean, it's, it's addictive. We all love it. Yeah. Leadership and culture reflect each other so well. I have such strong emotions about the individuals I work with. I can't imagine myself in different place. That's just such a great culture to share, especially with listeners that are going to hear this podcast and kind of think to themselves, what do I want for myself as a leader? Who do I want to, you know, be surrounded by? Who do I want to learn from? Who are my mentors? These like 
themes that have been discussed in this podcast have just resonated, I think, with so much that people are yeah. feeling and perhaps we'll focus on in, in the future too. So. Yeah. And I guess my last thing I would say is what I teach post-COVID and hopefully when we open up again, I can continue to have my NYU students who always love coming and even the Sinai fellows is that we are very special and unique um, in that we have a full-time medical staff. We have an amazing interdisciplinary team from pharmacists to speech to dietary. So I don't really think of us as a traditional nursing or rehab home, but rather as like a living learning environment because there's so much going on besides regular places. And I, um, I'll stop because I could go on forever, you know, but you know, there's just so many, um, we have so many committees. There's so many ways I've grown. Like people are like, you've been here almost seven years. And I'm like, yeah. And I think about how many opportunities I've been given to grow personally and still um, have, I don't have enough time to do everything, but um, it's something I wouldn't get anywhere else. And it's just very special. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. And I think the point, you know, you're kind of commenting on Sonia is like, you want to put yourself in a place as a leader that you, that allows that. Yeah. Right. And, and if you find yourself in a place that's not allowing you to grow and not allowing you to, yeah, then you need you know, to, yeah, make the change that, you know, you want to see in the world type of thing, um, then, then, then you're not in the right place and they don't deserve you there. So I, I, I think nurses have to allow themselves not to kind of be taken advantage of and realize that, you know, you know, we're extraordinarily important leaders in, in healthcare, you know, we're the glue. That's right. And so, um, you know, put yourself in a place that, that you can make a positive impact. That's awesome. Well, Liz, thank you so much for joining us thank on the podcast. Thank you, Liz. I look forward to talking to you, to you yeah. soon. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Thank you so much.